You're listening to the Maniverse Podcast with your host, Tom Traplin, and this is session number 105. Now, before we jump into today's interview with Jamie Grinstead, did you miss your chance to attend the 2021 LGS Success Summit Live? Well, right now, you can still pick up the all-access pass by going to lgssuccesssummit.com forward slash buy AAP. And you can get access to all three days worth of content. That's 24 sessions from some of the most successful game store owners in North America covering topics like brand building, running events, email marketing, game demos, networking collaboration, TikTok, SEO, word-of-mouth marketing, creating a WPN premium-level business, e-commerce and shipping, hiring the right people, and tons more. Uh, you can find all of that at the Maniverse Network when you pick up your all-access pass by going to lgssuccesssummit.com forward slash buy AAP. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Maniverse Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Traplin, and I have with me today, Jamie Grinstead. I should have confirmed that's how I pronounce your last name before I go into this, but I'm pretty sure that's accurate. Yeah, that, that, that is 100% correct. Well done. <laughs> thank you, thank Perfect. You. Okay. <laughs> first, first time. I like it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Jamie is the owner of Athena Games in Norwich, UK. So this is one of the first or one of the few times that I've had a, uh, a, some, a game store owner from across the pond on the podcast, and we're going to get a little bit of a uh, UK perspective on the way things are going and uh, the way the game business works over in Europe. And we're going to dive into you know what the, the story of Athena Games and, and what's going on over in the UK right now. So welcome, Jamie, to the podcast. Thank you, Tom. It's great to be here. Uh, yeah, looking forward to giving you some, some views from this side of the pond as such. So Looking forward to hearing about it. So before we jump into everything that's going on right now, what I like to start with usually is uh, is the origin story of you know how you got into this game business. How you why did you create Athena Games? Like why sure. Athena Games? Why not something else? You know, like uh, tell us what led you to make that decision, and then like the whole process of getting to where you are now. Yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, so basically, uh, I think I've always wanted to have a game store. Uh, growing up, it was something um, I always was interested in. Um, I, I guess my background in gaming, uh, I started in uh, sort of Warhammer, Fantasy, Warhammer 40k. I was more of a war gamer side of things. Um, and then my brother, who's who we also run the store with, um, he's a few years younger than me. Um, and he was getting into things like Yu-Gi-Oh! and things when he was younger, because he was sort of that sort of age where it just sort of come out. And uh, naturally, I sort of like picked some of that stuff up with him and sort of started playing those as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sort of like going to do events and things around that as well. So um, that was sort of like historical how I got sort of started in gaming. Uh, then what happened was, it was, well, Athena's been going eight years now, and uh, what happened was, uh, so we were doing wargaming events mainly, as in travelling around to those, uh, but my mum wanted to do some more travelling, uh, so she, she wanted to go around Europe and uh, to other countries as well, um, and around the country just to sort of, like explore um, and the problem with wargaming is that uh, you've got to have a big case to carry things around with. It's not something that's very um, transportable. 
so uh, we actually started playing Magic at that point. Uh, so this is about 10, 11 years ago now. Um, and we were traveling around and obviously going to all these places. So we'd been to like Poland, we'd been to Strasbourg, you know, uh, Utrecht. We'd gone to all these different sort of like locations and obviously places in the UK as well, like Manchester, Sheffield, so like some of the big cities. And what we really noticed was like Norwich didn't really have anything like that in terms of sort of like some of these places had some really good game stores like um, Fanboy Free in Manchester or maybe Patriot Games in Sheffield. Mm -hmm. um, and like Norwich didn't really have anything of that sort of caliber or really sort of anything with much range. Um, so, so we were sort of like, we were thinking about this and it was like, and we was just like, well, maybe we should try something. Um, and obviously, it, you know, um, so my mum sort of like supported us a bit with sort of her, some of her knowledge and things. And then me and my brother do the actual running of it. Um, so we decided, uh, it was, well, probably about nine years ago that we actually decided we were going to set up and then eight years when we actually launched. Um, and basically, uh, we sort of like, we were originally designed ourselves around what we knew. So it was war games and card games to begin with that we were doing. Um, and, you know, we had to learn the other parts as such. So um, board games and role plays weren't really our thing at the time. So it, it's been quite an interesting experience from that sort of side. So like having to, you know, learn these things and realize actually some of the things that perhaps we'd be missing out on but because we didn't have that sort of hub. We hadn't had any exposure to it. Um, and certainly something now that, you know, uh, I'm really happy that we can provide that sort of place to people uh, to sort of like learn these games and experience all these different um, ways to play um, that didn't exist before. Um, so uh, in terms of why Athena games, uh, so I've always had a thing for classics. Um, so uh, I love studying at school. And so um, Athena is the goddess of wisdom. Uh, so we wanted something that was sort of like, um, well, wisdom and strategy. And we sort of felt that really represented what we wanted more than say, uh, Ares, which is the God of war. It's, we want a bit more thoughtful game rather than, um, you know, just pound them <laughs> as such. Um, so that was, that was part of the reason behind that. And also, you know, it was still sort of of the time when having a name beginning with A was still something that was like people my mum thought was a good thing to have so um you know because it makes you appear higher in the phone book or whatever you know so <laughs> on on the listings yeah. um but obviously less relevant now but we we really like the name and um we really sort of uh like that sort of aspect that it's more about the strategy and you know um, that sort of side of things. I like the theme. I like the idea behind, you know, like what you were trying to, uh, I don't know if there's a better word than theme, uh, <laughs> the, the brand, the style, the, the, uh, the value that you're trying to represent. Like the idea of being like wisdom is something that we want to kind of like prop put forward instead of say like, you know, aggression or something like yeah. that in terms of war. Right. Which is a little bit more common, uh, with the, 
you know, especially like Warhammer and more 40 K and, and miniature gaming. That's, it's pretty much all combat, right? So yeah, uh, wisdom doesn't so. necessarily <laughs> come into play there. So it, I think that's an interesting uh, take on things. I also like how you, uh, you, you mentioned fanboy three. So you had a, uh, you had a higher level of game store in mind that you wanted to, to kind of a strive for, you know, like that was your aspiration. It was to be like, I want to make something that's great. Something that's, been around for a long time and is really serving the community well. Yeah, definitely. Rather so. than just maybe creating a, another retail space for gamers, right? Like it's yeah. Well, I'm a slightly different pool at the inset. Yeah, so I, I definitely sort of like um, one of the advantage from traveling around um, from th- to different stores, and I'd always recommend someone that was either looking to start up to do something like this. Um, is there is you can. Uh, sort of like get ideas of things that you you would want to incorporate into your store. Um, not saying you have to like direct copy. I wouldn't ever direct copy another store's model because it's been personalized to their community, to them and things. But you'll naturally be like, oh, that event's a cool idea. Or, you know, um, oh, they've done a really nice display or something here. Why the, haven't we thought to do something similar? You, you get those sort of like thoughts and feelings and sort of like, Actually, you know, maybe if I tweak this like this, this could really work for me as well. Um, so I definitely sort of recommend anyone, you know, if you have the opportunity and you're traveling around to definitely go check out whatever game stores are around because you'll always find there's something new or different or different experiences that you can sort of um, really sink your teeth into and sort of uh, learn something new from. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I've I've done my fair share of uh, game store vacations where you kind of like you know we're 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 here in Maine. Let's go check out the game stores, right? You know, we're we're here in Boston. Let's go see what's going on in Boston, right? Like you can do that while you're out. So it's a a really good way to find out what other people are doing, and you know maybe take something take something back that you can then apply to whatever you're doing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like you said, but without like straight up, you don't want to just completely you know copy somebody, but using them as inspiration totally great great idea absolutely go do that learn from whatever other people are doing right like and you can also you know i'm sure you'll you know, encounter your fair share of things that you probably be like i don't want to do that that's a that's a thing i want to avoid those are the you know that's also very valuable too right just certain certain things that are like that's not not the way i want to do it okay i won't do it that way i'll go do it this way because i can see the results in front of me yeah definitely so but uh yeah yeah, so definitely a good idea to go out and get some uh, get some experience and see what other people are doing. Uh, I'd also recommend you know check out what other businesses are doing. I remember I I believe it was uh, the story of uh, the Walmart founder. Uh, he used to go to other department stores and take notes about like you know how they stock the shelves and they would he would he was kind of a crazy person but he would like literally measure out the the aisle width to the inch and be like, Oh, this is the per Okay. This is how they do it. And like, that's how we optimized. Like he knows exactly how many inches an aisle should be for his store to get like the perfect flow through. And like, you know, if you, you can learn a lot by just kind of checking out other businesses and what they do. And, uh, you know, even if they're not in the same industry as you, it's always, it's other retail, you know, operations, you can learn a lot from, even if they don't deal with, uh, tabletop games and, uh, you know, the usual game trade stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's certainly, we're actually quite lucky, I guess, as an industry because we can borrow from so many different sorts of industries. So yeah, we've got the retail, we can borrow from them and how they display things. We've got hospitality, we can obviously see how they do certain areas as well. And we obviously have like the leisure sector as well. And so like see, see what the sort of like new and upcoming places are, how they presenting themselves, how they marketing themselves, that sort of thing. 
what sort of people are, are interested in. So we're, we're quite lucky in that we have a, a wide range of areas that we can potentially borrow from or, you know, get inspiration yeah. from. Definitely a good idea. Like I said, you know, always take, uh, take some examples of what you might want to achieve and use that as a, as a, you know, a plan, a blueprint that you can potentially work towards. It's now always a good idea to get some, get some experience in that regard. Yes. So you've been around for eight years. So it's a good, good long run. You've seen a lot of things yes. happen in the industry, a lot of changes. Uh, you've had a lot of experiences. I'm sure a lot of ups and downs over that eight years. Definitely. <laughs> Especially over the last two years, probably a lot of big changes. But uh, so one of the topics that I do like to explore is both the wins and the losses. Sure. So, in terms of you know the experience over the course of the business, what is like one thing that stands out as a you know if you could go back and be like okay I definitely don't want to like I didn't don't want to do that again if we could undo that one thing and go somewhat go in a different direction or something like that you know like a, a mistake that you made what's something that you would change if you could sure um, so strangely I'd partly say my current location um, so going back to obviously how we started we obviously started off with a a reasonable store. It could see about 40 people. Um, but we quickly found that we ran out of space on some nights. Um, so we started trying to think, and what do we do? Um, and we made a play for a much bigger store. Uh, so that's our current location. So the advantage of our current store is it can seat um, 130 to 150 odd people. Um, the downside of it is that it's not as well set out as a shop. So back when we picked up this store, the advantages, uh, so a lot of the organized play programs were making pushes for bigger events. So um, as uh, Wizards of the Coast, we were an advanced plus store, uh, if you remember that before, mm -hmm. before premium. Um, and um, we, uh, you know, Pokemon was doing regionals, Yu-Gi-Oh! regionals, you know, everything had these sort of big events that were sort of like 90 players plus to expect. And yeah, butts in the seats were definitely a major component of the, of the organized play structure. They wanted big, popular, lots of people all in one space. It's obviously not much of a thing anymore, but <laughs> yeah. So, but then what we noticed is then a, a, a few years later beyond that, there was a real shift in how they all approached it. So you saw a lot more of sort of like, well, we're going to take away things from stores and make them more centralized. If they're sort of like in terms of Pokemon, you know, the regionals went back to being, you know, they had things um, in bigger locations that they themselves were running. And to some degree, you know, Wizards sort of did a U-turn on the way it was approaching organized play. Um, as well, less sort of like the PTQs in stores or PPTQs or yep. whatever the system was at the, at that particular time. Um, and more sort of like, you know, the game stores where you learn to play and where you sort of like have your regular events sort of thing, but then sort of like your bigger events are going to be in these sorts of places. And one of the, obviously, obviously the problem with my store is that when you come through the entranceway, it's got this sort of like split staircase and it goes downwards to the shop or upwards to the gaming hall, which means you lose um, some of that advantage of that opening sort of retail, what would be opening retail space, um, sort of the bit near the door, which is obviously quite key. Um, so um, definitely if I was choosing again now, I'd probably have chosen a different store if I if there was the option. Um, 
the other problem is in the UK at least, um, there's not a great selection of at least back then of uh, store locations. Um, our property stock is quite old. Um, in a lot of like, if you want a city location, you're dealing with sort of like things that used to be things that used to be combined with other things or may have been combined with other things. You know, it's not sort of like a designed retail space as such. Um, so yeah, you get to deal with the history and the heritage of the buildings that you're, you're occupying. And exactly. sometimes they're a little weird. Yes. Yeah, so like this, this split obviously isn't ideal. It'd be lovely if it was on a nice all in one like level or mainly on one level would be uh, good, but we've obviously got to deal with this. We're over three floors, um, overall. So it's, it's a big old building, but, and it has a real TARDIS effect as well. You look at the front, it doesn't look that big, but it then really opens out behind as they've sort of like gathered places behind other places to sort of really expand out the store. So in terms of what our biggest mistake with, I'd probably say it was that because, um, we, rather than building for ourselves, we built for what the organized play was saying we needed to have. Um, so I think if I was to do it again, I would perhaps take a bit more time, try and find, you know, something that was maybe in between the two, but was on a sort of like a, a better location in terms of either parking or stuff like that. Maybe not quite so locally uh, central to the city. Your location from the sounds of it, it seems like you're probably in like a downtown core, a lot of foot traffic kind of area. Yeah, that, that, that's, that yeah that's definitely true. We're in an area called the Norwich lanes, which is sort of like, it's one of wards. that's sort of like an independent sort of uh, stores location, lots of sort of like historic shops, that sort of thing. So you're saying that you'd prefer to kind of maybe go out a little bit further from the core, go to a less foot traffic area, something that's more accessible by car. Yeah. And kind of like exchange the, um, the, the heritage location for something that's a little more traditional retail focused, a little more white box kind of style that you can build out and focus on the retail rather than the seating area. Yeah, definitely so. Uh, or at least have that flexibility of space a bit more. So... Perfect. Well, that's exactly what I want to know, because I'm sure that's exactly what a lot of people want to know in terms of like, oh, what should we, you know, like, what, what, what do you need to focus on, right? Like, I'm sure when you made the decision to go with the organized play focused store, kind of expand your seating and kind of focus on the events, it made sense, right? Like yeah. at the time, that's what they were promoting. That's what helped sell games. That's kind of what, how the way the, the industry was kind of going. So <laughs> times change, though, unfortunately. So <laughs> Yes, I can see how that would uh, then become like. Well, maybe I missed the target now that uh, <laughs> now that they're moving the goalposts over here. Uh, but uh, that that's that's a great answer. Definitely love to hear that. And maybe it kind of leads into the the question of like, do you have any plans on changing the location or moving at some point, or like, is it worth like adopting a new uh, new strategy for that kind of thing? Yeah, so we, we are working on adapting a new strategy. Uh, we're not looking to change locations at the moment. Uh, so um, what we're working on at the moment is uh, we're converting part of our play space into uh, a cafe area uh, because we didn't traditionally have that. It was sort of like more uh, bottled drinks and snacks, that sort of style of things that we sold before, but actually moving to a more sort of like a, a, a board game cafe style um, area that we can obviously make use of the space that we have, uh, and obviously provide sort of like hot food and stuff as well to, to our regular players as well. 
and like, especially you have the space, right? If you can adapt it to something that's more conducive to what you can do now and kind of, I think that's somewhat of the experience that people are, are, are looking for at the moment. It's more fitting to what people want. Yes. At least on this side of, uh, of the ocean, uh, you know, thing, the way things are, are, are right now with the, with COVID-19 and everything else, uh, people are looking for more face-to-face -face experiences, right? They want to go to a place and have, you know, a good time with their friends and their family and, and be able to enjoy that again. Cause that's something that we haven't been able to do for almost two years now. <laughs> uh, so facilitating that, that's not, that's outside of the, you know, like big convention or big tournament or something like that, but having like small tables where you can have a somewhat private experience and then have some nice food and have nice, you know, like a nice beverage or something like that. Uh, I think that is a really good model to build towards assuming things don't change again, right? Like, assuming, <laughs> you know, some new variant doesn't come out of the woodwork and, and, uh, you know, throw a wrench into those plans. If that doesn't, that's that the case and things start to open up again. I think it's a great direction to go in. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're relatively lucky. So like retail provides a, a large part of our income as such. And we made a big effort, um, when the pandemic, well, when we could see the pandemic coming, we, we, we made a big effort to like move more to sort of like having that sort of like our website and things, because before we hadn't put much effort into our website, um, but then as we saw things coming, it was like, right, well, we've got to put the effort in now. This has to be, you know, because you could see it coming um, to some degree, you know, um, sort of back in sort of February time as it was for us sort of thing. Uh, sort of start put that effort in to sort of like get all the products online and put pictures on, descriptions on and things like that. So, uh, and it actually really worked for us because, you know, we were able to keep selling throughout because although they um, closed down retail stores, uh, they still allowed us to do shipping from warehouses and um, you could run a click and collect service from your store as well in the UK. It was very strange. You can't go into the <laughs> shop, but they can bring things to you from the door. And it's like, okay, fine. Sure. <laughs> it's a weird way of doing business, but that's how things were done. No, times have definitely changed. So let's do the flip side. So we talked about the thing that you wanted to change. What's the thing that you've done over the last eight years that you feel like is like, we nailed it. Bro. Sure. So conversely, I guess it kind of, kind of, it sort of sits opposite the fact of our game store uh, was so large. Um, so uh, Norwich typically doesn't get very many national events. Um, Norfolk's quite a rural county. So... Um, like the joke is you sort of like see the sign for Norfolk and you've still got like an hour to go until you hit Norwich, you know? So, um, it's in the middle of nowhere and such that little sort of like bit sticking out of the, uh, of England. Um, and so to get something, so we were able to secure the final fantasy crystal cup, um, which, um, obviously final fantasy was a sort of up and coming game at that sort of time. And it was quite good to be able to have, get a, a level of event that was sort of like 130 people um so this was sort of like the height if you like before the fall down of sort of like uh the the size of the store so it's quite nice to be able to celebrate that sort of size and be able to run that sort of size of event over two days in the store and obviously all the logistics and things that went with it uh that was probably one of our mm -hmm. sort of like greatest successes and 
um, you know, something I, I'm really proud of that we managed to achieve. So Awesome. Yeah, that's a nice little feather in the cap. Yes, no, uh, we've been quite lucky. So before, before obviously the numbers came down, you know, we had X-Wing regionals, you know, we had, we we continue to have Yu-Gi-Oh regionals and things like that. And so uh, we, the store still gets some use as its full size, but uh, not as much as maybe it used to. Hopefully that comes back. Yes. Hopefully at some point in the future, near future, we can kind of go back to that. Because that, like I said, that's a lot of, that's a lot of the experience that people want to have again. Oh, definitely. They want to go back to a normal life and have fun and, and be able to play with their friends and and do all the fun competition stuff that they used to do. Yes. So in order to get to that point, you must have uh well really really supported organized play as a major like a major endeavor in terms of the store. You wanted to really put a lot of effort and time into this uh in order to kinda get to that level, right? So how did you let's just for Final Final Fantasy in particular, it's bit of a niche game, right? It's not magic. It's not Yu-Gi-Oh! or Pokemon. It's not one of the big ones, right? How did you develop a community like large enough to draw in a crowd big enough to get them to be like, hey, we want you to host this major event for us? How did you get to that point? Um, so, I mean, it's really a, a two-sided thing because it's not just um, about what you do. It's also about having the right people in your community as well that are willing to sort of push and encourage the game for you. Um, certainly that was the case with Final Fantasy. We had a very, uh, you know, uh, we started off with a very strong core. Um, and it was a real popular game from the get-go, largely due to its IP. Like, we ordered way more boosters than I, I thought we should do for, like, Wave 1. And we still sold out within weeks. And it was just, okay, and, you know, it was that thing that, it was a game that, because of its IP, was just so popular that I guess no one really saw that it was coming. And as well, you saw a bit of it was coming, but you didn't have any idea the scale of it uh, as such. Sure. So um, the key then is trying, obviously, keep people engaged. Um, you know, because it's it's quite common. What you see with new games is you have a massive spike at the beginning, and then it drifts down. Uh, particularly um, with if there's stock issues and things like that. So you have that sort of like first wave and then it's like, well, there's no stock for three months because it's sold out super quickly. Um, keeping people engaged during that period or re-engaging them is obviously something that it's quite tricky to do. Um, but, um, you know, it was quite, quite lucky that we did have that sort of like solid core that were sort of always willing to sort of like push the game forward, uh, you know, encourage people to play. And sort of our side of things was like supporting them with that, um, you know, um, however we could sort of thing, whether it be sort of different events or uh, learn to play days and things like that to sort of like keep growing the game. Um, and, you know, these players then went on and they were traveling around and they were telling people about our store as well. So you sort of got that, people were hearing about us from outside of our region, um, which is obviously sort of like some of the things when you're trying to get to a, a larger event, um, it, it's really important. Um, and, you know, in some ways we're, we're quite lucky. Part of obviously what um, we actually got a lot of people traveling from Europe for the Crystal Cup. Um, so Norwich has does have an airport it's not necessarily the biggest airport you know uh but it has a direct link to amsterdam so it has good links to the continent 
and uh, that also helped sort of like to secure the sort of bigger event because we had a lot of people flying from like Germany and places like that. So um, I think that was something that actually speaks volumes for the Final Fantasy community in that they they were willing to travel. You see a lot of games, and it's like, well, yeah. you know, the EV's not high enough. You know, I'm I'm not going to go to this. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm not going to get enough back from it. Uh, whereas, you know, they were enjoying the fact that you know they had these big tournaments on. There was some like um, exclusive loot and prizes that they could get, and they were just enjoying the fact that they could, you know, come out and play at these big tournaments. Um, you know, which a lot of games, unfortunately, they don't ever seem to get the chance, you know. So um, it was good to see it so well supported by the community. So it sounds like you had a at least some number of basically like brand advocates, right? People who really liked the game and wanted to help other people like the game too. Yes. Definitely. And they took that message and they started helping other their friends and sharing it. And it kind of it grew in an organic sense and like almost viral sense yes to use the term you know in a weird way <laughs> weird to point in time but kind of in that sense right like it they they took it and they multiplied it and they used it to uh to attract other people uh, and then you combine that with just the accessibility and uh it kind of became the perfect storm yes definitely so i think it's also pretty interesting to note that you, you mentioned that uh you kind of commented on the fact that they were just sort of happy to have this tournament, this ability to meet and come out and enjoy the game that they, that they loved, right? That the community was just happy to have that. Yes. Right. Whereas others, maybe, you know, like you you said, the EV for, for certain events is not high enough, right? Like the, uh, the attitude towards organized play in other game communities is not the same. They're not just happy to be there. It's not just something that they're, they're enjoying because they have access to it and, they didn't think they would otherwise. Uh, yeah. I don't want to get into the point where I'm like, oh, man, those certain <laughs> people who only want, you know, an ROI on their tournament and they want everything to be free, like, I'm sure there are those customers. But it's interesting to note that some games have communities that are much more uh, grateful just to be able to enjoy it. Yeah. And just have fun with their friends and then play the game that they love. Whereas others are a little bit more uh, demanding on, <laughs> on what they get out of your organized play programs. Yeah. I mean, uh, if only you could identify those games up front, right? <laughs> and know exactly which ones are going to be the winners. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's the nature of things, you know, there are going to be those games that um, do attract the more competitive players and, Part of that may be down to their historic way that they've run organized play themselves. Um, you know, they've they've encouraged that sort of attitude within their games um, because that was, you know, the intended route. You were going to play in this and you're then going to qualify for that. And then you're going to, you know, do that. And then it's like, well, how am I going to achieve this? Well, you're going to have to travel around to lots of tournaments. And it's like, well, how am I going to afford this? Well, now the tournaments need to be you know, paying for yeah, you to need it. to kind of get your value out of it so <laughs> you can justify the expenses of your travel, and then hopefully do it again, and or you know just be independently wealthy. You can just oh, I can take time off whenever I need to go for a four day weekend to take a you know a long drive to this big event, and no big deal to me. But uh, yeah, no, I, I think I think the magic community. That's I think that's the <laughs> the archetype for that because that's how they started things off, right? Like the the whole PTQ system or the the pro tour system back way back when they started things off was uh, a very interesting competitive environment right yeah. like the the characters 
the personalities that they had uh, in the early days of Magic who would compete at the highest levels were, to some extent, they were exaggerated to the point of almost being like WWE characters. <laughs> you had your villains. You had your heroes. You know, these are the good guys. These are the guys who were like, they weren't, you know, doing bad things, but they were not like necessarily the friendliest or nicest guys. And you had this drama on the high levels. And I think a lot of that bled down into the culture at large that you had this, uh, this kind of, uh, kind of in a competitive environment that you grew up in. So yeah, uh, maybe starting with a fresh slate, maybe that that's actually a nice thing with newer games that you, you have this opportunity to build a culture into your community. Yeah. Especially if you're the one kind of like fostering it yourself, right? Like a lot of it I'm imagining centered around your store since you kind of developed this space and you developed these people and you kind of showed them how to, how to play, how to play properly, how to play with each other. And then they took that and then went to other communities and showed them how to do it. And that obviously came back to you in the, in the fact that they chose you for the, this big event. That's a, a nice little circular uh, way of kind of getting back what you put into the community. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's always nice to see sort of like efforts rewarded as such, or sort of like noticed at least. Yeah. So um, it, it was really appreciated to be trusted with sort of like an event of that size. So what is, you know, well, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but what is the number one thing that game store owners should be thinking about? In your opinion, what do you think, uh, Let's start with maybe in Europe. From a UK perspective, sure. what do you think other European uh, EU stores should be kind of focusing on right now? Um, I, I imagine some of it's probably still similar. Uh, so we're seeing margin squeezes over here. Um, and mm-hmm. um, you're obviously seeing less opportunity for that sort of like just-in-time restock as well. Um, so that sort of ability to be like, oh, well, you know, our supplier will have you know have that in, so I can run low to the ground uh, on this particular line. Uh, so you're having to think a lot more about what do you keep in stock, um, and sort of maybe seeing a slight narrowing of the range of stuff you do keep in stock, and maybe you know you've got to think, well, do I keep in depth? And like the prices are increasing, um, wages are increasing here as well. So um, the national living wage as they call it here which is like the minimum wage is going to be going up by i think it's about 6.6 percent in april we've been told um which is obviously a hefty increase um so um you've got to really think about sort of like and margins our typical margin now um we get between like 35 and 40 percent on the games that we buy in so um, often I, I see the Americans and talking about the margins they get and I get a little jealous <laughs> of the sort of levels that they, they can get on margins. Uh, I know obviously they're seeing shrinkages as well on their margins, but yeah, oh, I'd love that level. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, so the challenge is all about shipping delays, I feel. Um, you know, the margin squeeze... Um, and this holiday season, I think it's going to be about sort of like identifying. Um, so you may run out of lines on some lines. It's going to happen. But what are the alternatives you can also offer people? So if it's not this, then that sort of thing. Having those, you know, and having your staff clued up on um, what what are the alternatives? You know, if uh, you know, for example, a, a particular game is out. What what other ones? If someone comes in looking, can you recommend them? 
Um, and I think that's going to be very quite key this year, at least. Um, and hopefully, you know, whilst the shipping delays keep happening. Um, in terms of organized play, it's also playing Havoc. Um, you know, events are being delayed with few days' notice. We've obviously probably seen the latest Pokemon pre-release for Fusion Strike. That got moved back a week. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot more sort of like last-minute changes and being able to adjust to those as a store is quite tricky. Uh, so definitely something that we're going to be working on, sort of like building that extra space in. So if something moves by weekend, it's not like going to cause a massive crunch. Um, you know, sort of like... Because, like, we've had it before, obviously when games have decided to run things on the same weekend. So, like, in my past, I remember, I think it was, like, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh! and International Tabletop Day all falling on the same weekend, you know, uh, in terms of pre-releases. And it's like, oh, this is nice. And <laughs> so it's sort of like, messy. yeah, trying to make sure that we sort of, like, build in that sort of, like, well, this event is meant to be here. However, there's, a, like, a 50% chance it's moving. Um, and it's sort of like how you handle that sort of communication to customers as well, uh, particularly those that may want to sort of like have to book time off work and things uh, to maybe attend an event, say if they work the weekends or whatever. Um, it, it's quite tricky to sort of like balance that approach, I'd say, and sort of make sure you're being honest with them. It's like, well, there is this opportunity that this may move. Like, we, we really hope it doesn't. But, you know, there's a lot of things that are outside our control, you know, the distributor's control in terms of that. And that is quite a tricky thing to, to deal with because, like, everyone always assumes it's your fault to begin with or they want someone to blame. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're the front man. So. Yeah. Uh, so, so, like, it, it's just making sure, you know, you're being that sort of compassionate about it and sort of understanding on it and then sort of... Uh, Sort of like seeing what sort of alternatives you can come up for those that may not be able to make a, a new event or something. What I'm hearing is you need to be a knowledgeable advisor. You need to be able to say, okay, you know, we're out. This, this thing is not coming back for a while because of, for whatever reason, there's a million reasons at this point, but this isn't coming out. But I know that you really like this style of play. This is a great alternative. This is something that you'd really, I think you'd really enjoy. If you like this game, you'll like this game. You should check it, you know, being, be willing to demo it or, and, and help the person kind of understand what they're doing, but being able to recommend something else and carrying additional stock in, in other lines or in other, uh, other product, uh, product lines that you can then say, hey, let's just redirect your attention a little bit over here. You're, you'll love this just as much, I swear. Yeah, definitely. So the idea of being a knowledgeable advisor, but then also honest communication and having that, that dialogue and being transparent with your, your customer base and the people who are coming to you, hopefully because they have expectations – that, you know, I want to be able to get this new game or this, these new products that are coming out. And that's not always going to be the case, or at least not on the timeline that they're expecting. Yeah. And being open with what's happening and what's happening behind the scenes and how it's impacting your business and trying to get them to understand and, and be on board with that and be okay with that. Uh, if you, can, you have that dialogue, you'll have a lot, you'll have a much easier time with the first part where you can say, okay, well, this is why it's not. My, I'm not keeping the thing off the shelf to take it home to my place, and you know, like I'm not keeping it for me, myself. It's just it's not here right now, and it's not coming right now. 
But here's some other things that you might be interested in. Yeah, definitely so. All right, what's your favorite tool or piece of technology that you're oh. using in your business right now that you can't live without? <laughs> Strength, I'm going to say, is a good EPOS system. Uh, so I currently use Shopify, but there, there are others that are out there. Um, over the last year and a half, that's been, I would say, invaluable. Uh, the fact that you can have all the information uh, sort of like on your phone, on on a laptop or something, wherever you are. Um, so when there were like movement restrictions and things, you could obviously check um, because we've got two locations. We've got a store and a warehouse um, and we stock track both. So being able to sort of like be like, ah, right, okay, so there may be one of these at the store for this customer that's asking about this, or there may be one in the warehouse, but not actually necessarily having to go there, if, you know, uh, obviously it's only as good as you put in, sort of in terms of uh, like inventory and things, but that, that proved to be sort of like really useful and having that sort of linked up ability with your stock as well between your website and your till system. Uh, also really good so um, before we had the current system we had we sort of like used to almost segregate warehouse stock that we were sort of like going to put online um, whereas this system is obviously much more uh, fluid and uh, allows sort of like a much wider range of our stock to be able to be sold online um, and obviously being able to sort of like see how the store's doing whilst not necessarily being there um or every day um it's also something that's been really useful sort of um sort of like checking in and so sort of like oh okay what sort of day have we had you know what's been selling well what hasn't been you know when you're sort of like doing some late night restocks or something or just uh over the weekend wanting to check on and say you've got a weekend away just well i'm a bit i'm a bit of a control person i like the control aspect of being able to see uh what's happening at all times. It is my baby after all. So uh, I, I like that aspect of being able to be like, oh, right, so what sort of day are we having, even if I'm not there, you know? Uh, or, okay, so what's been going on this evening? Or how's this event doing uh, over the last few months? You know, how how's this game been tracking? Um, you know, keeping an eye on that sort of level. So you're a data kind of guy. Yeah. Well, my background originally was yep. uh, computer science, uh, so I, I did a, I've got a degree in computer science, and I um, used to work for IBM and did uh, software testing and things like that. So uh, a lot of that is analyzing data and sort of like coming out of tests and things, and sort of making sure it, it all sort of lines up and things. So uh, I do do like my data. <laughs> so so you're going with Shopify for your POS. Uh, did you try any of the other ones? Uh, why did you end up with them? Uh, yes. Yeah, so before Shopify, we were using one called Epos Now. Um, the reason we moved away is they didn't have. They were a great till system, but they were they didn't have great uh, links or apps that linked up with websites. Um, so they they relied on third party bridges. And I don't know if it was the number of SKUs we had or something, but those third-party bridges could not cope uh, with the number of products that we had uh, particularly well. Uh, so um, we we made the decision. It was, again, towards the beginning of the pandemic. To f We always had Shopify as sort of like our online store site. 
but then we made the switch to full Shopify, um, perhaps a couple of about the time of the pandemic starting. So uh, to sort of like it just made sense to have everything on the one system. Awesome. Yeah, I, I love Shopify too. I've I've, I've had uh, a lot of good experiences with Shopify. I've, I think it's a great system. I think it's relatively intuitive and it's a good way to get things online quickly. And I, that's when stuff was just starting to really, you know, shut down and, and problems were coming down the, down the road. I was saying that Shopify was probably one of the easiest ways for stores to get their store. Like if they had nothing, if yeah. they had no, no e-commerce at all, it was like, you probably just need a Shopify storefront. Like that's enough for you to start the process of, of, of doing online sales and, and shifting into this, the, the new way of doing things. Cause oh, yeah. this trend's not going backwards. You know, like this is the way people are going to be shopping from now on and you need to adapt and Shopify is a really easy way to get into that without having to do, you know, like some of these other ones are not as pretty, not as functional. Uh, they don't like not as functional from a commercial, uh, the con consumer perspective, right? Like somebody's Shopify has a really nice website design, right? Yeah. That's one of the things that made it really good at the beginning was that it's very easy for customers to just log onto your site and it's, you don't have to do anything, you don't have to be a web designer to have a nice functional site that works on uh, mobile as well as like a desktop, right? You know, it's not hard from the uh, the owner's perspective. You can basically right out of the box. Some of the themes that the Shopify comes with work just fine. Yeah. So yeah, I've been advocating for, for Shopify for a while. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm glad to hear that it has worked out for you. Uh, one thing that I am curious about is uh, uh, do you do single sales at all? Um, like in, in terms of magic, especially, that's one thing that I'm, I'm wondering. So about. we used to do single sales. Um, so we did those, uh, but we found they were quite they were they were quite time consuming, um, and we weren't always getting out as much as we were putting in. We felt, um, but also uh, we were on uh, another platform for singles back then. Um, and they went through uh, some major issues when they tried to move to using Amazon Cloud, um, and it ended up messing up entirely our singles inventory. And it became a case of, do I really want to relog all of this, um, or do I just sell that off and then we'll come to it again maybe some point down the line if we, it's something we feel that we want to do. Um, and basically... Yeah, we we decided actually we're going to ship this on, uh, so we ended up selling it all, and then uh, we were like, well, we'll come back to it again maybe uh, when we can find a system that would work. Um, so I'm aware that there's obviously Bindapost now, uh, which is obviously based on the mm -hmm. Shopify platform. So it is something that I have considered, um, or just sort of like the process of uploading a lot of stuff myself, you know. Um, a lot of prices don't move. It's only the ones that um, sort of. It's only the ones that are sort of like obviously, you know, banless announcement comes. This shoots up or it's seen on play. You can actually yeah. probably set the price on a lot of singles um, just to remain the same, and then focus on that sort of subset of played cards, and you probably would be okay. You know, I was just curious because that's the one, the one sticking point for Shopify. Is that like? Uh, sealed products and, and board games and role-playing, like books, it, it fits the model really well, but singles adds a whole layer of complexity to what Shopify does, and usually you need something a little bit more focused, like you mentioned uh, Binder POS, 
Like that's what they do. Like they bring that singles element to Shopify. Uh, but if if you're not doing that, like it, that makes sense. I, I was just curious to see if like you somehow jammed that into the system and made it work, and you know everything's cool, and, it, and you figured out a way to make it happen without like going nuts, or if uh, if you just said, okay, well, we don't need it. We can figure out a way to to manage the business without offering singles as a service. I mean, I could probably code a module that would do it uh, if I had the, the spare time. But <laughs> time is something I don't, don't always have a lot spare of, I find, nowadays. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure not every person could be like, oh, yeah, don't worry, I got this, and just start you know, writing out the code for a, a custom <laughs> custom solution to, to themselves. <laughs> uh, that's probably a solution unique to, and unique to you, I think. So, okay, so that... Great answer. I'm glad that uh, that you mentioned Shopify. I'm really happy about that. Uh, what would be your best piece of advice for someone who is thinking or who's planning on starting a game store of their own at some point in the future? Like maybe you know, like maybe if they're in the planning stages right now, you know, good sure. luck to you. Uh, but <laughs> if at some point in the future, what would you what would you want them to think about? What's something that uh, you would say to them? I'd probably give them the same sort of advice that um, I give anyone applying for a job, Athena, which is uh, don't expect to be playing games all day. Uh, if that's what you think it's going to be, then you're you're wrong. Um, generally, if you have time to play games all day, then your business is either doing really well and you've got lots of staff uh, that can handle things for you, or you're doing really badly um, <laughs> and you could really do with uh, yeah. some help. Um, so I'd recommend, you know, you're going to have to put in the hard graft. Um, it's going to be a case of you are going to have to do cleaning. Um, and there's probably going to be cleaning of toilets involved in that as well. Uh, so you've got to be prepared to put up with the mess and things as well as sort of like the good stuff of, you know, um, obviously having people gaming, getting to talk about games and, you know, uh, you know, occasionally getting to play games as well. Um, so uh, that would be my sort of main advice would be sort of like, um, and I guess the other thing would be to um, make sure you've prepared things. So um, I would have perhaps liked to have known more about board games and role play going into it. Uh, so spend a bit of time to know sort of like areas that you're maybe not as familiar on. Um, just to get yourself that sort of grounding. Um, because, you know, there are some things maybe you can try and bluff, but it's better if you have that sort of, that sort of base of knowledge that you can sort of actually go, actually, you know, ah, you are after this game. And so, but I don't have it, but I can recommend these sort of ones because, you know, I've played them. They're really enjoyable style and that sort of side of things. Definitely be prepared for some hard work, man. Yeah. It's not going to be... All uh, playing games and having fun and rolling dice. That's not not the way it works. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, – I can't remember who said it, but I remember having a conversation with somebody. He said, uh, yeah, like my favorite game right now – somebody's like, oh, what's your favorite board game? Said, my favorite board game – my favorite game is Game Store Owner. <laughs> like, you got to like that. That's your main activity. That's the thing that you're playing every day, and you got to be able to play that well. And you got to get – used to that's that's your game now is uh yeah is doing doing the game store i i would say um certainly when i had uh when we had our first store uh tetris was my favorite game because it was like on some nights we're getting busy and it's like right so this group can be here and this group can be over here um but i don't ideally want this group next to this group because there's like clashing sort of like you know they don't seem to like this 
group of people and you know they think they're too and you know it's like okay fine well you're going over here it's just that sort of uh that always used to be my game <laughs> tetris back then uh, so final question and it's the question that i usually like to wrap things up with and i i ask it for pretty much everybody who comes on the podcast uh, because the general idea of the podcast is is trying to achieve success in the game business and the trouble with that is that success is very personal and it's uh, the definition of success can change from person to person and you know what they're trying to achieve. So I guess the question is, what does success look like for you? This was, a, this is a really tricky question. And um, I guess so sort of like at the foundation of it, like I set this up with the aim of sort of like encouraging, giving a space for like families and uh, gamers to have that place to play. The sort of real sort of like success for me is when there's a, a, a hall full of sort of like happy gamers as such, enjoying playing the games they love. Um, so one thing we always try to do is try and make our store accessible for all. And so that would definitely be sort of like what success looks like for me and sort of like seeing how players have grown over the years so the advantage of having been here now for like eight years is that we've seen sort of like players sort of like progress in their gaming journey maybe they started with one game they moved to another um maybe some of them are slightly more competitive and they've sort of like gone on and they've achieved success and we've also you know we're really proud of how they've they've done it sort of thing um or maybe, you know, they're just happy playing games in store, and that's great. We love those, and we love everyone that sort of, like, comes and plays in store. And sort of, like, seeing how their their lives progress and sort of, like, how they move on and sort of... Um, so for me, I'd have to say, yeah, it's just having those sort of, like, happy gamers in, in store and sort of seeing, seeing how they progress. Being part of their lives and watching them grow up in some, some yes. capacity and seeing them live their life. And, yeah, no... I, a lot of store owners have expressed the same sorts of, of sentiment about, you know, you kind of become part of these people's lives, especially the people who are like regulars, right? You see every couple of weeks or you see every week or something, you see them grow up, right? Like you, I, you see kids go from, you know, like going to high school and then they go off to college and they come back and then now they're, now they're adults. So that's kind of crazy. And then, you know, a couple of years later, like maybe they've, uh, maybe they got married and now they're having a kid or something. And you're like, well, like it's it's crazy it's 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 this weird relationship that you have with the with your community and the people that are in it and it's it it's like a really big or it can be like a really big extended family and just seeing people live their lives and and uh, i think that's a very a very valid reason for feeling like you you were achieving what you set out to do is that you've you're providing this space that allows you to create that human connection with these people yeah, it's. Uh, I'm sure Dave Salisbury would go on about third space theory and uh, is having that sort of like yeah. place that isn't work or home, um, and that you can obviously, you know, you provide that that connection between people and sort of like you see friendships form and things. And yeah, as you say, you see people grow up. Like there've been people that were sort of like say Pokemon Juniors uh, back when we first sort of started. That you know they're now a you know, university and things. And it's like, whoa, and you see them. It's like, oh, you've, you've really grown. <laughs> it's like, I remember when you were this big. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's definitely one of the more incredible and I think uh, valuable aspects of running a business that is a game store. It's one of the things that really sets it apart from 
other retail operations or other business types is that you have that connection and you have this real human ability to be with people and, and see them and, and help them like experience the joy and the fun and the friendship and all the stuff that comes with gaming. And then I, yeah, it's full of feel good emotions, I think. And yeah, I think that's one of the best things about it. All right. Well, do you have any other parting words of wisdom that you want to leave the audience with before we, uh, we clock out? Oh, no, uh, I mean, I guess the main things at the moment is to, to stay safe. Um, look after yourselves um, uh, and look after your communities as best we can. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. That's it for today's episode of the Metaverse Podcast. If you want to see what Jamie and Athena Games is up to, you can check them out by going to athenagames.com. I just want to say a quick thanks to Jamie for coming on the show and sharing his story. I really appreciate it. And it was definitely interesting getting some insight into the game trade over in Europe. Uh, if you missed your chance to attend the 2021 LGS Success Summit Live, well, you can still pick up the all-access pass by going to lgssuccesssummit.com forward slash buy AAP. And you can get access to all three days worth of content. That is 24 sessions, 18 plus hours, from some of the most successful game store owners in North America, covering topics like brand building, running events, you know, email marketing, game demos, networking, collaboration, TikTok, SEO, word of mouth, creating a WPN premium level business, e-commerce, hiring, and tons more. You can find all of that in the Maniverse Network when you pick up your all-access pass by going to lgssuccesssummit.com forward slash by AAP. Thanks for listening to today's interview with Jamie Grinstead from Athena Games. Until next time, I'm Tom Traplin, and I've been your host. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you again in the next episode of the Maniverse Podcast.